All right, we're live. All right, welcome everyone and our listeners. Uh, Welcome to the Remarketing Podcast. This podcast is focused on talking about tech and tech solutions for business, talking about business ownership, uh, investing in real estate and digital marketing. Uh, Our our main focus is to uh, showcase our guests' expertise, their business and what they're working on to give them content uh, content and give them some marketing material and also give them the chance to uh, spread their word out and what they're working on. Our second goal is to educate our audience and listeners. Today, I'm very excited to have on Serena Harris. Uh, actually, when I got started in the, the note industry, I'm a note investor and a note broker. Uh, she was one of the first people I spoke to when I was getting mentorship. Uh, she developed the, the curriculum and courses that I took in order to get my education in the note industry and to get started off in the investing space. Uh, so with that, uh, Serena, welcome. We're very excited to have you. Um, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background uh, before we get started? No. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Serena Harris. And uh, like you said, you know, um, I was director of curriculum at a, at a note training facility for about eight and a half years. And really um, kind of spun my wheels with, with one particular thing. And that was, you know, training people how to learn, you know, the note business and, and they all run into the same problem, which was how do I make this into a full-time business? So I, uh, I left there to kind of answer that question. And that's what Note Inc. is. It's, it's really the business side of, of the note business. And uh, what we do is a, a bunch of experiments and try to make step-by-step proven uh, sort of data-driven processes so that when someone says, hey, I want to do the note business, we're like, hey, th- we've tested every strategy. This is the best one to do, combined with, you know, really, um, you know, serious understanding about how business actually works. So that when people come in, you know, they can they can have their pick. They can say, you know, I, I want to do this part time because I love my job and I love what I do. Or, you know what, I'm sick of that. And I, I want something that I know can take me full time. So that's sort of the purpose behind behind Note Inc. And uh I wish there was more to say about me. I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I've been in the note industry virtually my, my entire adult life, you know, doing odd jobs and stuff like that, trying to figure out how to kind of stay in the in the note business when I was very young. And, and now I'm just kind of like doing my own thing and having a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up. Uh, the, the business side, uh, from my experience, I've been in the business for about three to four years, has been definitely that. I didn't know how to turn into a business. I had a full-time job. I got started in the note business to do it part-time and then bridge it full-time. And there really wasn't a clear path from doing it part-time like a hobby to turning it into right. a fully functioning business. So I love that you bring that up. That, that was definitely a shortcoming I saw. Uh, I try to study business on my own, but I think both you and I know that could be a whole college course. Yep, it can. <laughs> and so can. having someone give some very, um, you know, very direct and focused training on it is a huge benefit. I think not just to note investors, but to real estate uh, people as well. A trend I saw develop within the past four years is people pushing wholesaling a lot. And a lot of people were yeah. doing wholesaling and they weren't really running a business. They were running a second job, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I think it's important to understand. I mean, you know, someone once told me like, you know, when you become an entrepreneur, every, every client is now your boss, right? You, you get it in, you get into it to become your own boss. And I guess in a way that's true, but also you know, you have to kind of understand really what is it that you want, right? Why are you leaving your previous company? Why are you leaving your previous career to come and do this, right? And it's it's really kind of a soul searching question. But once you have that answer, 
Uh, the next thing I tell people is like, you know, get your numbers, right? <laughs> because, yeah. oh, yeah. the, you know, like get, get, get your number in order. And, and those two things alone will tell you exactly how you need to run your business, right? And so therefore there's no one cookie cutter, you know, this is, this is how everybody should do it. And I don't recommend that for anybody. Um, but at the end of the day, it has to work. And that was, that's still kind of a challenge uh, in this space is, well, you know, if I just want to do this part-time, you know, how do I do that uh, consistently? And, and that question has still, you know, left to be answered. So you're not, you're not the only guy in that boat for sure. Uh, and I've seen it, you know, literally over a thousand times, right? <laughs> so, right. Yeah, yeah. you've helped, um, I don't know how many students before I got to that training facility, but- uh, 1,946. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've, I've trained, yeah. So one th- I always, I, I love to keep track of the number because it's, you know, it's a, it's a mark of, of honor to, you know, be able to interact with so many people. But uh, yeah, my previous, when I was director of curriculum, it was 1,763 and now it's 1,946. So. Wow. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when, how long did, um, when did you get started? About what age were you when you started notes? Um, I learned about notes when I was about 19. So I'm 36. So a, a while. <laughs> well, I wish, I a wish while. I'd known about notes sooner. I'm, I'm turning uh, 40 this year, actually not too long okay. from now, uh, but I, I found out about notes when I was like 37. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I've known about, well, that's the thing. So, you know, everything is, is timing, really. And yeah. um, I happened to learn about notes right when, you know, it kind of became this, um, you guys remember like late night infomercials? Yeah. There yeah. was a guy, yeah, he, he had like promoted the note business on this late night infomercial. And uh, serendipitously, my mom actually bought a house and took back a, a seller finance second mortgage on it, right? So she was the, okay. you know, she was the borrower on it. But what happened was because of the late night guy, uh, he was trying to teach everybody how to do the note business and he was teaching them wrong. So here goes, I don't know, a million and one letters in the mail telling my mom like she should sell her note. And it's like, uh, she's the borrower, but they didn't know any better, right? So I was like, what, is yeah. all the, what are all these letters, right? What are all these postcards and letters and FedEx envelopes coming in about sell your note? What is all this stuff? And so that was sort of uh, my introduction, right, into the note industry. Mm-hmm. My mom bought that house when I was 17. So by 19, I was like, did you know this is actually like a real business? And, uh, and that's when I told her I was going to skip college and try to become a note investor. And she told me I was crazy. She's still not happy about the decision, <laughs> by the way. Uh, and she still doesn't know what I do. So, you know, it's all good. But um, that's how I was introduced to it. Now, of course, you know, don't get the idea that I started then. That's when I was introduced and still had odd jobs and stuff. Because, you know, when you don't go to college, you have to work. And yeah. so, you know, that was just kind of my thing. And I always had this dream of just doing the note business, period. You know, just whatever was attached to it, whatever was involved with it, uh, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, they say, you know, like have a deep and wide kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, every other skill that I learned in school, I have used in my note business. There's not one thing, honestly, that I can say that I haven't used. So it's actually okay. been really good to be sort of singularly focused, um, but I'm good nowhere else. <laughs> it's just notes. <laughs> yeah, you brought um, up one thing that was funny, and, and it's because I've had this experience over and over again since I got started. But whenever I go to meetups and I tell people that I buy notes, they do misinterpret it to think that I can buy their mortgage that they're paying. Yes. 
And I yeah. go, no, 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 you don't own the note or the mortgage. You're just paying right. it. And right. I have to break right. it down like the bank owns the note and the mortgage. They can sell it. Very common myth. Yeah, right. for and sure. My first Very. exposure to the note business was really when I bought my condo. It was my first property I bought. And about six months later, I get a letter in the mail from Liberty Mortgage and from Wells Fargo saying, hey, Liberty Mortgage just sold your mortgage. They sold your, yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yep. And, and I was like, I'm in the wrong business. So I'd like to move on to some business questions and we'll bridge into some sure. personal things. We can get into some more detail. Uh, I'm excited to, to hear about, you know, more about your journey and what's, what's going on with you currently with Note Inc. So uh, what's one thing in your note business that you didn't expect to happen? Well, like I said, when I left, uh, you know, note school, right. Mm-hmm. And decided like, Hey, I want to do this, this Note Inc thing. I really it was very naive of me. I really thought two things. I thought, yeah, you know, people would just kind of get it and I won't have to do sales. So that was like the first, uh, you know, like, no, you have to sell stuff. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I have to do that thing. And and really, I bring that up because, um, you know, I didn't expect that I had an internal problem with sales, right? Like I okay. inherently thought like sales were sleazy and that it was just like, you know, that's what used car salesmen do. I don't need to do that. People should just know that this is really good stuff. And the reality is that's not the reality. You really have to explain yourself in a way that reaches someone, uh, you know, personally and emotionally and logically. And, and there's a way to do that, right? So that was sort of the first epiphany. And then the second one uh, came much later and it was, it, was, it was heavily resisted. So even more so than me resisting like learning sales. The second one was that I was going to have to train again, right? And so Uh, here I am, director of curriculum, having to train, you know, over 1,700 students, right? And I leave that because everybody keeps hitting this same wall, and I want to solve that wall for them, and then realizing, nope, you got to train again, right? And so that was sort of something that was new, but I also you know, it was also really cool because then I got the chance to do it how I wish I had it. Right. Okay. Without the constraints of like, well, this is not what this company does. So I can't really like be this crazy. And okay. um, <laughs> now I get to be as crazy as I want. I get to say what I want. You know, I'm, I'm politically non-correct. So, you know, I do a lot of really cool jokes and if you don't have a sense of humor, you're probably not going to like it. But if you, oh, if man. you appreciate that kind of thing, like the, the amount of transparency and honesty, um, that I give people I've said is, you know, really refreshing. Cause sometimes, sometimes you need to hear what you, what you need, not what you want. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You so. have to surround yourself with those people. I've, I've done yeah. that myself personally. And I was a kind of a hard pill to swallow, but my colleagues and I have accountability groups that I'm a part of, and they're very blunt yeah. in your face about where, yeah. what your shortcomings are. And if you're not, if you don't have the stomach for it, you're not going to really improve, but yeah, I, I appreciate yeah. people who are very direct. And I know like in your training, even in your training through note school, uh, it was very direct, easy to understand. And I, I mean, I got it right away. It helped me avoid some big mistakes because awesome. note space is, you know, note industry is a very small niche industry. So people yes. tend to know each other. And if you make a mistake or you do something that's not above board, it spreads around and then you're going to work yourself out of business. So yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely. grateful for you putting those things together and shortcutting that because I might have made yeah. some of those mistakes. Absolutely. Um, there, there's a silent blacklist that I run and keep. So, you know, <laughs> and everybody has one. Everyone has one because it's just like you said, it is a relationship business. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what's a common myth about the note space 
that you find a lot of people uh, fall into. Well, you, you touched on it earlier where people think, oh, can you buy my mortgage, right? <laughs> um, like we can just select mortgages at will, right? And just say like, yeah, I can buy that or whatever. That's, you know, that's one of the common ones. Another one is people think we're mortgage brokers, okay. right? That we originate paper. Um, and another one is like, this is my mom. Uh, so maybe I'm just picking on her, but she thinks I sell real estate. And I was like, no, yes. I, I don't, I don't sell real estate. So yes. those are kind of the common ones. Um, you know, like, Hey, you know, my friend who lives four houses down for me is struggling with their mortgage. Can you buy it? Like, no, it's not, that's not how that works. Right. So those are yeah. kind of the most common ones. Yeah. Have you ever gotten a private lender too? People yeah, you know, um, I got into almost like a, you know, like a little spat with somebody once because uh, she was, um, she was doing hard money lending and, and okay. to her credit, you know, like she was brand new. She, she actually came from the, like the trust world. Right. So she worked in a major like trust company. And then she started recently sort of venturing out and trying to do some investments herself. Okay. And one of the things she, she was like, yeah, I'm a note investor. And I was like, Oh, you know, like what kind of notes do you do? And she was like, well, I did a hard money loan over here. And you know, I've got another mm. one piled up and I was like, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not a note investor. She was like, well, it's a note. And I was like, yeah, it's not, not the same thing. And so, yeah. you know, uh, I, I do kind of like, I'm a stickler for like, you know, it is what it is, you know, and, and just because something's a note doesn't mean that you're a real estate note investor, right? right. It's a totally different animal than being a hard money lender, even though they're both notes. Um, so just for our listeners, cause they might not be familiar with the, the note space. Can you just give a quick, like, um, tell us the, the difference between what lending sure. is versus what a note investor does. I know most of the people listening on here probably are more involved in real estate or they're realtors, so they might not really know. Yeah. So first, um, one thing, and maybe, you know, you do this next time you have like a group of folks who are asking what you do. Um, I never tell anybody anymore, and this is just from hard knocks. I never, I never tell anybody that I'm a note investor. Because okay. then they, they just smile and they say, that's nice, right? And that means like, I have no idea what you just said, but I don't want to look stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tell people, <laughs> I tell people that I buy and sell mortgages and that usually piques their interest, right? Um, you buy and sell mortgages. And then it's kind of like, I didn't know that could happen. How'd you get into that? And it really prompts a lot of questions. So that's, that's how I started, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and because everybody kind of understands what a mortgage is. So right. the difference, I guess you would say between like being a, uh, a note investor and sort of a mortgage broker or something like that is a mortgage broker usually works for an investment firm, whether that's a bank or credit union or something like that. They take the bank's criteria. We're just going to pick on a bank here. The bank says, hey, we're giving out loans at 3.5%. Here's the terms. Find somebody to qualify for this product, right? And they, they help fulfill that bank's you know, quota in terms of creating new loans, right? And, and banks can create loans out of thin air, right? They can do fractional reserve lending. We don't, we don't have that ability. We can't make money out of thin air, right? right. So what we do is we actually purchase existing loans. Yeah. So, you know, say for instance, Chase Bank created a thousand loans, uh, 20% of them go bad. Uh, so you got, you know, 200 loans sitting out there, they then sell those into the market and we won't get into the boring details about that, but you know, it ends up on a spreadsheet somewhere that one of us mm-hmm. can look at. Right. And we can say, you know what, I want to buy this one and this one and this one, because, you know, even though they're bad loans and the person's not paying, I think I can fix it. So that's just one aspect of our business. Another one is, you know, there are people who do create their own 
notes, right? They might have an REO property or a rental property. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially with the rentals, if it's a really good tenant, sometimes that tenant wants to stay, right? But they just might not qualify for a loan to be able to buy you out. So what what often happens, and a, a friend of mine did this with quite a few of his properties, is that he he basically seller financed uh, that house to his tenant, right? So they wrote up, um, I think he wrote up a, a land contract with them. And uh, she was able to use like her rental history with him. So she didn't really need a, a down payment. And basically they just converted the whole thing from a rental situation into a, a you know, a borrower uh, lender situation. And, um, you know, that's another way that we sort of invest in notes. We kind of create them ourselves. So, you know, that's the main difference is like when you're a mortgage broker, you're really kind of fulfilling a product for a particular financial institution. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're a, a note investor, you're buying the existing loans that are out there or you're creating new ones yourself. Exactly. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, that's a point of confusion for people who are not really into this space or they don't understand. And I've actually, it's funny, the, the explanation you brought up, I started using myself with lay people that are not involved in real estate or even with real estate people. I just say, and I introduce myself, I say, yeah, I buy and sell private or seller finance mortgages. There you go. And exactly. they seem to understand that so much better than saying I'm a note investor. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> they were right. giving me a headache at first. Yeah. Like, well, you I learn please? the hard way, right? Because yeah. they keep giving you the deer in the headlights thing. And you're like, I, I got to figure out a better way to explain this. And right. so eventually you start saying, yeah, I buy mortgages. Yep, exactly. That was that. I don't remember how I stumbled across that, but I, yeah, on my own, I had to figure it out. And yeah, that, that's a really good tip too for anyone in the note space who is having trouble explaining to people what you do. They'll get it when you say I buy and sell mortgages. Absolutely. That they won't think you're a lender at least, because that was that, yeah, that was exactly. Big they'll they'll be peaked. The, the the interest will be peaked by then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to the next question. So, what is a big challenge you're facing in your role right now? And how are you trying to tackle that? Uh, so there's, there's two, and this is, this is a really good question. Um, so the first challenge is sort of recognizing, and this is, this is an ongoing thing, is recognizing that your personal growth is directly related to the success in your business, right? Okay. And so, yeah. so if you have sort of an internal angst or dislike or hatred for sales, right? Internally, you're not going to sell well in your business. Okay. Right. Yeah. If you, if you are undisciplined, right. Um, and you don't like to do like mundane tasks, like this is a big one for me, right? I hate repetitive stuff, but that's like 80% of business is just repeating the same thing and being consistent. Mm -hmm. If you don't like that internally, that's going to struggle. Right. And so really your business is a reflection, an outside reflection of who you are internally. That is a really big challenge for me because it means like the buck stops here and everything is my fault. Yeah. Right. That's powerful though. Right. So if my business is struggling and it's not making good sales or it's not making the money that I want, the problem is me. It's not the industry. It's not the product. It's not my customers. It's me. And I need to sort of look internally and figure out, all right, what am I, you know, what's hindering me? And that's, that's a really big, really big lesson. I actually um, got smacked in the face a few times from a book I'll recommend later um, to your audience about like that, like shining bright mirror in your face about you are your business. And so if you're, if it's doing well, you're doing well. Uh, And the second thing actually is 
really what all businesses struggle with. And this is what, this is actually going to be incorporated uh, into, into Node Inc. But I, um, I have taken, <laughs> I've taken the main challenges of business and personified them in playing cards. So the first one's called oh. the Jack of Diamonds. All right. And, uh, and uh, so let me explain, because like people are like, okay, this lady's crazy. No, the Jack diamonds um a diamond is right Mm -hmm. and so the the first challenge that that people have in starting a business is there's a lot of noise there's a lot of pressure and they're kind of all over the place with what they want to do right and just to give you numbers this is pre-covid numbers right because we've lost like 30 something percent of businesses in covid so pre pre pre-covid numbers there were about 27 million businesses in the u.s Okay. 16 million of them never made more than $40,000 a year. Wow. That's right? crazy. Another 6 million never broke 100,000 a year. So oh now you've eliminated gosh. what, like 85% of businesses who don't yeah. even crack six figures, right? What are their challenges, right? Because this is, this is something that everybody deals with. So the folks who can't crack 40,000 a year, their issues have to center around having bad habits, right? There's no real discipline that they have, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't understand who they want to serve. They don't really have like, who's this going to? You often ask like new entrepreneurs, who do you want to like, let's just talk about note investors, who you want to sell notes to? Well, anybody can buy a note. That's not, you're not picking who you want to serve. Yeah, anybody can buy a note if they have the money and if they're qualified and if they, right? You're, You're missing a lot of qualifiers by saying that anybody can buy a note. So you haven't really laser focused in on who do you want to serve? Because if you say anybody can buy a note from me, right, which that will give me a million and one customers versus, no, I want to focus on airline pilots who are looking to diversify their, their you know, their retirement portfolio. That's a very specific kind of customer. And you know okay. how to reach them because they, they speak a certain language. They understand a certain way. Right. And you probably are an airline pilot yourself. Right. Because <laughs> right, you have, no, to have access to them. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm just using it as an example. But the moment that you can get specific about who you want to serve, then it becomes a lot easier to see what the heck am I doing? You're not here to serve everybody. And notes aren't for everybody. I would not recommend that everybody diversify their portfolio with a note, especially if they're one of like a panicky investor. Okay. So then the, the six million people who can't crack 100 a year. Um, their issue is not necessarily that they have bad habits and that, you know, they're not really being consistent. Their issue is that they haven't created and monetized value. So you might know how to, you might say, I want to serve these people, but unless you create something that they think is valuable, it doesn't really matter. So if I'm trying to sell Girl Scout cookies to a gym, that's not going to work, right? Because they're there for health reasons. They're there to get, you know, in better shape. I sell Girl Scout cookies, right? That's probably not going to be the product that they need. And so you have to match your market. So you can't, so they go hand in hand. And that's why 85% of businesses fail. They're either selling the wrong thing to the wrong audience, or they don't know their audience and they can't reach whatever it is that they're selling to the right one. So there's no match. So that's the Jack of diamonds, right? And that, That'll just cut out, you know, most people, right? Oh, you know, I really don't know who I want to serve. And I don't know how to like create value for those people and monetize it, right? Monetizing is, is another aspect of that is 
well, yeah, I've got a thing, but what do I charge for it? And how do I, how do I charge somebody for this? And that goes into sales. So that's like the, that's the Jack of Diamonds. And, you know, we, we talk about that a lot with my, with my folks. The second one, and I won't go as, into as much detail, but the, the next one is the queen of clubs. And clubs are really a tool. And so the, the next challenge that you'll have in your business after you figure out who you want to serve and then how you're going to create something that they think is valuable that they'll pay for, the next challenge is how do you leverage lead generation, right? How do you okay. keep, keep getting customers? And then how do you leverage sales? How do you build sort of a, a process and a, and a system around sales, right? So that you're kind of multiplying yourself. Uh, so that's sort of, you know, the queen of clubs. It's like, I got to find tools to help me do this thing because you will spin yourself out trying to do everything manually, right? So if you're being serious about business and you, you've never heard of a CRM, you know, strap in, right? So yeah, definitely. <laughs> So yeah, so those are like the biggest challenges. Like they're they're no different from from anybody else, right? In any other business, these are kind of universal. They just get unique to the note industry in a very specific way. So, man, yeah, you touched on a lot of like really powerful things that are centered mostly around business, but it, it applies to all businesses, not just just notes. Uh, the yeah. one of you know taking extreme ownership. Taking extreme ownership is like super important. When you, you know, do something and it's not working out, you really do need to take a hard look in the mirror. It might not be what you want to see, yeah. but it's going to be the truth. Um, when I was a kid, I took martial arts since I was six all the way up to like 16. And the reason why I got into it mainly was because if I got punched in the face, I had no one to look at but myself. I didn't block. <laughs> mm, like I had yeah. to improve. I was forced to get yeah. better in order to do well. And I think the same happens in business very much so if you fall flat on your face it's really no one else's fault but yourself and then I really like your concept with like the cards do you have is it like split between all 52 cards or did you pick like specific standout cards no no it's just four it's just four so it's the jack of diamonds queen of clubs the king of hearts and the ace of spades all right awesome yeah we, we sort of took uh probably about eight or nine challenges and just broke them down into like four major categories so I could fit my psychotic idea of, of playing cards <laughs> oh that's cool yeah you guys you listeners you're gonna have to check her out more for more information on that and so you can take a deeper dive in that I love that idea though it's very creative and I think it it'll help people learning it to remember it it's kind of like a memory yeah. system too so yeah. it kind of aids you in remembering what you need to work on exactly well and and they're directly tied to like your your income right and mm -hmm. it's sort of different in the note space because our our transaction numbers are high so you know somebody might have average transaction size of $50 or $100 where ours is, are in the thousands. So you might, yeah. you might be making more than a hundred thousand a year. You're like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not in that category of the Jack of diamonds being my biggest challenge. Uh, but unless you have those things that, that overcome that quote unquote enemy, right? right. Um, you are in that category. You just have, you just make more money in your, what I call a lucrative hobby. So yeah, those disciplines are, are universal and, and they really hurt. Uh, note investors the most because it's just not something we think about yeah that's, that's awesome i definitely love to learn more about it i hope our listeners do at the end you know we'll have serena's contact information so you can reach out to her and learn more about what she's doing with noting so we're going to move on to the next question um what's, sure. um what's one thing uh in the note space that most people when you tell them don't agree with it anything i say that comes out of my mouth <laughs> oh, that's funny. If it's Serena, no. The answer is no, no. Um, <laughs> one of the major things is, uh, and this one, this one gets me in hot water sometimes because this is this is messing with uh, you know the gurus. Uh -oh. But um, 
what market we're in. That's the one that people really disagree with me about. And what do okay. I mean by that? So I'm, I'm a self, self-titled uh, note nerd. And I sit and I think, and I've studied the note industry dating back to the 1930s at this point. Wow. And uh, so I, I don't go back that far because people would get bored. So I try to go back to about 1980 okay. um, to kind of, you know, draw this concept. And really, I, I say that there's a red cycle and a blue cycle within the note industry. And whatever cycle that you enter is usually the one that you're going to learn the most about. Well, that was true up until like maybe recently. So if you entered the note space in the early 80s, you were in what's called like a blue market, right? Where people were just kind of like creating a lot of mortgages and financing. And a lot of it has to do with policy, right? So when you loosen regulations, there's a whole bunch of mortgages that get created and a lot of financing, right? And then obviously people get greedy and then it's followed by what I call a red cycle, which is where you have to kind of draw that stuff back. You got a lot of defaults. You got a lot of people not able to pay. You have a lot of debt consolidation happening and and banks kind of going out of business. We saw this in 2008, right? And so in the 90s, you kind of had the same thing. And then we had what another red market, the the 2008 crash, right? Too much financing, too loose financing, right? And now we got to rein it back. So what happened is, when the 2008 financial crisis hit, a lot of the note businesses that had been around went out of business, right? Because they no longer had financing for, for their, their note sales, right? A lot of them were brokers. I would say most people in the note industry at that time were brokers. Okay. And so their financing dried up. So what are you going to do with these notes with no one to buy them? Well, a lot of them got really innovative and became note trainers or gurus, right? Teachers. Oh, okay. And started teaching people at that point because they just, you know, they needed to keep the lights on, right? And I'm not faulting them uh, because it really introduced a lot of people to this space. But what happened is because they, they were in a red market when they started to teach folks and really kind of get a serious business and in training and kind of using their expertise and their knowledge, when the market switched back to blue in 2016, a lot of them didn't catch it. And even if they did, they weren't going to change their business model. So what we have currently in 2022 is a blue market, meaning that the majority of your profits and your, and your sales and everything should be focused on performing loans. Okay. Whether it's buying them, originating them, selling them, whatever the case might be, it's performing loans because you're pretty much going to pay almost the same price for a non-performing right now as you will a performing. Okay. And why would you go through the headache, right? That means you're going to have less margins. Yeah. So what happens is, is people disagree with me that when I say the margins. Hold on, Zareen, I think we... And if you're not taught that, if you're coming into the space to buy non-performing in a blue market, which is a a mismatch, obviously you're going to disagree with me saying like, no, you probably should be doing performing. And so that's kind of one of the the biggest sort of contentions that I have with with my colleagues is that they continue sort of teaching a strategy that should have ended in 2015-16. And their students are struggling. The industry is struggling. Um, the only people kind of making out are the folks who are selling loans right now. And um, it's because people are overpaying because supply is low. So just to give folks an an understanding of, well, what's the difference between the market now and the market from 2008? Well, the market in 2008, in terms of non-performing loans actually peaked in 2010. 
at around a little, maybe a little bit over 10% default, right? So you survey the 50 to 51 million loans, about 10% of them were in default. So you're looking at, you know, in terms of like what you could put your hands on. Um, sorry, not 10%, sorry, about 10 million loans. So we had about six six or so million in 2008 and nine, and then it peaked in 2010 at 7 million defaulted loans. And then in 2011, it was six point something. And then 2000 and what are we at? Uh, uh, 12, you know, like five point something. So you had years on years on years of millions of loans in default, right? Year after year after year. And right now, as of 2022, we have about 1.6 million, anywhere from 1.6 wow. to 1.9 million, right? And most of those are not even 90 days past due. They're rather around 30 to 60 days past due. Okay. So what you're talking about is probably somewhere around 400,000 defaulted loans. So you're talking okay. about a market that really just doesn't exist because the, the, the players have changed. It's no longer really hedge funds who are buying these big bulk you know, and, and selling them down to re- retail investors like you and me, it's banks, right? It's, yeah. it's Goldman Sachs now. It's, it's, it's the players at the top have changed and they don't sell notes. So now you have yeah. this huge squeeze at the bottom of the triangle with people who are trying to buy non-performing loans uh, in a supply and demand kind of situation. So they're going to be really expensive because there's not enough supply. So that's just kind of like, one of the biggest things that, that folks kind of disagree with me about, but you know, I, I stick to the number, the numbers don't lie. Yeah, I noticed, I didn't look at all those numbers and it's really good that you had all that information because that opened my eyes too. I didn't realize that. What I did see with a couple of people who wanted to partner with me on doing a non-performing deal, that the margins just didn't work. It was too close to yeah. face value. And yep. you know, when you add in legal costs and carrying costs, if they're, they continue not to make payments, make sure taxes are paid, um, you know, something our if listeners aren't really familiar with notes, and when you have a non-performing note, person is not paying their mortgage, and if you buy one, you want to make sure the taxes are paid. Otherwise, they could actually go to a tax lien sale. Yep. And they can basically take your position over, and then you never get your money. So you don't want that to happen. So there's added costs when you have a non-performing note, and aside from legal fees and all that as well, um, especially if you have to foreclose, there could be some substantial legal fees depending on your state. So yeah, I, I noticed that definitely just with the small deals. I didn't know that was a part of a bigger pattern. So thank you for that. That's, that's mm-hmm. wild. But I wouldn't disagree with it. I don't know why other people do this. <laughs> well, you know, like you, you agree with it because you're, you're trying to, you know, make money. Um, <laughs> but if you're, if you're invested in like selling that non-performing is the way to go, then you're definitely going to disagree with me. Right. Yeah, definitely. Cause that's, that's what you're making your money on. And I noticed exactly. the advertisement in the past couple of years, that's what it was centered around a lot of yep. marketing calling it the foreclosure tsunami and using all sorts of. Yeah. I haven't seen that tsunami it. or that avalanche or that tornado or whatever other, you know, terminology they're using. Matter of fact, I gave a presentation in uh, September, 2020, right? So this is like peak pandemic, you know, panic, right? And everybody's like, the non-performing are coming. And I'm like, no, they're not. And uh, I'm still right, you know, so. There you go. Put that, put that one in my hat. So let me ask you this. What's one piece of advice you would give to someone who's just starting out with notes? 
make sure you understand what market you're in. Don't quit your day job and go with it in mind to always build a business, right? So you're going you're gonna to follow the same steps as everybody else in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to be excited about becoming a node investor. I think it's one of the best industries, hands down. And, you know, I'm biased because I've been in it so long, right? But um, one piece of advice that I got when I was 20 years old was don't quit your day job. And at the time, I thought, you know, I thought this was my first mentor. I thought he was just, you know, trying to burst my bubble, right? Like, no, Mm -hmm. dude, you don't understand. And he'd he'd been in the industry for quite a few years by that time. And so I didn't, but I always kind of like had it in the back of my mind, like, why would he tell me that until you realize how difficult it is, right, to really build this into a business. And it was one of the best pieces of advice that I got. So um, when I say don't quit your day job, that's not me trying to discourage you or try to say that this industry is not something that's worth pursuing. It's really kind of giving you advice on being careful and being cautious and making sure that you're not putting yourself into a, a, a financial bind in trying to pursue sort of this dream. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's very good advice. I think, yeah, that's, that's good advice for anyone starting any business. Yeah. Not just in notes. Um, if you have a full-time job, financial security should be your number one focus. And then when you start this business on the side, you have notes, real estate, could be any other business. You could be making brownies as a business and you should do it on the side until you built it up to a point where it can stand on its own before yep, you decide to, to move over. Uh, and, and I love how you bring up that, you know, with notes, we really didn't make a clear path to doing it in your spare time and then turning it into a full, you know, business where you have systems, you have maybe people you're hiring out to do those repetitive tasks that we all hate yeah yeah well we don't all hate them i think entrepreneurs hate them but but folks who who are really good like office associates they love that stuff like they live for it they live for how to improve a process five percent better each year right and that's you know and i'm not knocking that i used to knock that but it's really um a blessing to any business and it's really um an admirable trait. I, w- I wish I had it. I just, I just don't. And I, and I know myself well enough to know that um, if I get stuck doing the same thing over and over and over again, I'm going to, I'm going to burn out and I'm just going to get bored. Yeah. And you, you can't do that. I think it's it's mo- one of the most important things in business is to know what you're good at and what your, yep. your, your, your strengths are. Uh, someone once told me that you can only minimize a weakness, but you can build a strength. So- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that advice, uh, like strengthen your weaknesses. No, don't do that crap. Right. Outsource your weaknesses, right? Yeah. Understand your weaknesses first and then outsource them. Yeah, there's an example I, I give to some people. I, I took art through high school and I like to draw, but there were people in my art class who were light years beyond me, just naturally. Mm-hmm. Like just naturally. So even if I worked my hardest at being a good illustrator or whatever, I would never reach their level because they're starting at a point that's so far ahead of me, I'm never going to catch up, but I'm good at other things and I can build on that and I'll be ahead of people with that. Like I'm very good at memorizing facts and figures, things like that. Um, I understand technical processes pretty quickly. So engineer mind, like you said, a lot of people in the note space are engineers. Before doing notes, I was uh, uh, doing behavioral therapy, so behavioral analysis. I was doing uh, computer programming and cybersecurity before that. So we're very engineer minded. Mm-hmm. 
Um, just, we just we attract a lot of engineers here because of the numbers. Um, yes. And and I often tell people like there's there's a creativity actually in the numbers, and you'd have to kind of be in the business to kind of understand what that is and and understand like how the calculator works. But there is kind of a a level of creativity to it, and and then I certainly add my own right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I love that. Yeah, I said I like that uh, playing cards idea. One of my hobbies was uh, magic tricks and stuff like that when I was a kid. So always ah. playing with a deck of cards and things yeah. like that. I, yeah. I, I, I just have a deck of cards on my coffee table right now. <laughs> it's still there somewhere. Uh, yeah, you definitely have. There's definitely a creative side to it, too. I noticed with creative deal structure and some of those trainings. Uh, yeah, that was that was an eye opener, too, where you can kind of massage a deal around to make it uh actually give you a pretty good yield so that was really interesting yep. all right so how about now we talk about a little bit more about you a little bit more about personal sure. stuff we've talked business uh, a lot of really great information i'm going to have to go over this probably two or three times to absorb it all okay uh, especially the industry related stuff it was really good to know <laughs> i was not aware of any of that i did know a little bit about the history i have done some research on like going back to 1930 with the development of fha and, and all that mm -hmm. Um, so let me ask you, what, um, what does your morning routine look like? That'll be the first one. Uh, my morning routine, uh, consists of waking up and remembering that I have a morning routine now and to do it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I just, you know, full disclosure for years, for most of my life, I did not have one. I just kind of go on my, my habits. And that was usually like checking my phone the first thing in the morning. So now, um, yeah, you know, and, and it's still a bad habit of mine. So your morning routine is like, it consists of habits. And so what I've begun to do, and it, this is not my full routine, but um, what the first thing that I do is um, when I wake up that I get up, even if it's before the alarm, right? So I, I try not to hit the snooze. The snooze is now out. Um, okay, and good. to keep myself awake, the first thing I do is I get up and I brush my teeth, right? Because that involves okay. like actually being, you know, semi-awake. Um, after that, I take, uh, I have like a high vitamins, you know, supplement routine. So I take my, I take my supplements and that kind of double duties as my daily water intake. So I try okay. to take anywhere from 16 to 20 ounces of water. So I was like, if I'm going to be drinking all this water, I might as well take some vitamin D, right? Cause I work from home. Yeah. And if you work from home, you need vitamin D cause you're just not getting enough. Yes. Sun, right. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so that those two are combined. And then, uh, after that, I, I sit in silence for a while and that's usually, me watching ASMR videos, <laughs> just okay. being honest, right? Uh, so I sit in silence for a while until the rest of my, you know, cognition wakes up. And then uh, when I get up to go towards the desk, I do 25 squats. All right. Yeah. That's a morning routine so far. So, so ask me in six months, it'll be like, I do this and I do this. But yeah, for right now, it's just remembering that I have one. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. That, that, that's good. There's a lot of research out there how like what you do first thing in the morning sets the tone for the rest of the day. So there was like this Navy, a lot of the Navy SEALs say the same thing. They say, when you get up, make your bed. Yeah, yeah. So get up, make your bed. Um, I tried it. Um, I haven't stayed consistent with it. But when I did do it and I was done at the end of the night, I was still working a full time job. I would come home at the end of the day, make dinner, do whatever. And there is actually some kind of psychological benefit to it. I was, I would see my bed made. It's just like, Oh, look at that. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. It's, yeah. it's nice. I got to pick that back up again because right now my morning routine is non-existent. So I got to be more disciplined about that. Hey, sure. been there. Been there, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Uh, so what is a funny story your family tells about you that you'd like to share with us? 
I, I didn't know this answer. So I text my brother uh, and asked him like, Hey, punk, what's a good story about? Me? <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't say that. Cause you know, he's still my older brother. Um, and he said, uh, he reminded me of this story. So there was a neighborhood. So we lived in a, you know, like a, a subdivision okay. in suburbs and, uh, in the middle of the subdivision was a, a park and, uh, it had like a basketball court and swing set and trees that you can climb. It was really cool, small, but you know, um, all the kids went there and it was, it was literally at the end of the end of my street. And it was like in the center of the neighborhood. So all the kids go there and we were, uh, military brats. So you would always have some new kid okay. around. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because we just lived like a few miles off, off of base. I was born in, uh, Fort Huachuca. So shout out to the, uh, Buffalo soldiers. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, um, so, you know, middle Arizona in this park and there's some new kids and they must not have known like don't make fun of the tall girl right so they just start picking on me or whatever the case might be and my brother you know he's over there playing basketball and I'm digging in the sand right because like you know that's what kids do and these two boys I think they were twins right and they were new kids Mm -hmm. their dad was you know just deployed and whatever and so they moved into the neighborhood and um they were making fun of me. And, and I went to my brother and I was like, Hey, you know, like get them, you know, they're making fun of me. And he was like, he was like, I'm playing basketball. He was like, just, just go home, you know, and, and go play with your dolls or whatever. I forget what he said to me. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I took his advice and I started walking home. Well, these boys just took up their bikes really and followed me home. Oh my God. Right. And, uh, and we're just talking trash the whole time. And, you know, like kids talking trash is like, you eat boogers, you know, like stupid yeah. stuff, right? And I was like, leave me alone. You know, I'm, I'm walking home. Like I'm walking away from the situation. I want to make that very clear to your listeners. I'm walking away. <laughs> so I get in the house and uh, I have this epiphany because they, they were literally in the driveway, right? And I'm like, why'd oh you follow God. me all the way home, right? What is up with this? So um, I went into the kitchen and I mm-hmm. grabbed the broomstick and I, I unwound like the, you know, the head of the broomstick and I walked outside and I had this broomstick in my hand. And I was like, you're going to leave me alone now. And I'm like, you're not going to do anything, whatever. Da, 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 da. And I was like, if you don't leave, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you. Right. Oh no. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they called my bluff. And let me tell you, um, they shouldn't have done that. So I, I didn't hit them. I hit their bikes okay. and they were shocked. They were like, oh my gosh. So they start trying to, you know, like ride away. Right. And ride back to the, to the park. And for some odd reason, something just kicked into my legs and I was able to run behind these bikes and keep up with these kids. Oh my and, God. You know, like swing on their bikes or whatever. I, I just want to make it clear. I did not hit them physically. I was hitting their <laughs> bikes. Okay. Because Don't I wasn't stupid, people. right? I, you know, I'm not going to hit anybody with a, with a broomstick, but I was hitting the crap out of their nice red bikes. And so, you know, from my brother's perspective, this is why this is his favorite story, because what he sees is, oh, my little sister's complaining and I'm in the middle of the plane. I tell her to go home. And then 10 minutes later, all he sees, right, is, ah, come back here, come back here. And they're like, is that your sister chasing these kids on bikes? Oh my God. He was like, yeah, that's her. And he, he just busted out laughing because they had never seen a girl run that fast after boys wow. on bikes. And I was keeping up with them. I don't know what I had that day, oh probably God. way too much Kool-Aid. And so that is, that is his funniest story of like the day that his, that his little sister defended herself. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. So 
Uh, lesson of the story is don't mess with Serena. She will chase you down <laughs> on foot. There's more than one use to a broom. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story. Um, do, you, do you ever see the movie Terminator 2? Remember the guy um, who would like he would morph into stuff. That guy. Yeah. When yeah, he yeah. chased when he chased the kid on the motorcycle, he mm -hmm. actually trained for that and was able to catch the motorcycle on foot. Really? Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't know that. I just incredible that you as a child were able to catch two boys riding yeah. their bike. Oh, and they were so oh, mad yeah. they went and got their dad. And I was oh, just like, geez. what? Yeah, yeah. It was funny because they were embarrassed, right? How is she keeping up with us? We're on bikes. Yes, they should be. Like, you made me mad, dude. Don't pick on a girl. <laughs> God, she's minding her own business. I really Man. was. We, we kind of share the, the military thing in common. My family wasn't military, but I grew up near Fort Dix in New Jersey. Okay, okay. Literally, like, a quarter mile from the shooting range. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so you know like, like military towns and military life a little bit, right? You yeah, know? we've had new people move in all the time. You all know, the time. Were military or someone was military yeah. because they rent out yeah. houses. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I had that experience. I liked it. It was very uh, diverse. Like when I was in school, there was people from all over the place. came. In. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Especially really out in cool. Arizona, we had like a lot of, uh, we had Spanish, we had Asian, we had, yeah. we had black, we had white. I mean, we just had like a, a bunch of different people. So I always had like a a whole handful of, of diverse friends. My best friend was like half Korean. So it was, it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah yep. Korean, Vietnamese. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. My, I learned to use chopsticks from my friend's grandma who didn't speak any English. She only spoke Korean. <laughs> <laughs> I still eat kimchi to this day. Like a lot of Korean food is in oh, my, yes. in my daily. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what's um, your father, your favorite holiday movie? That's a good question. I don't, I don't think I've asked that one before. It's uh. A Christmas story. Okay. All right. Yeah. Classic. When I was little, we used to call that, I want to watch Ralphie. And my mom yeah. would know like like what that is. But a Christmas story. And um it, it really says a lot about, you know, how certain movies kind of have a huge impact on the psyche of a child, right? Because that movie never left me. And I think it was the narration was the was the biggest thing. Because the next favorite thing after that was the Wonder Years, right? Okay. Which is also like a narrated show. Oh. Right. And uh, it kind of played a lot into like my podcast, even. Yeah. So, what, what does that say about you? Your favorite holiday movie? <sighs> Christmas story. I love it. It it says a lot because I don't even celebrate Christmas anymore. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. No. So I, you know, it it says that you know there are certain things that I just I love and I stick to, and you know that okay. is all like narrated storytelling and it's a classic now you know but at the time yeah. they were like oh this is just like a really funny movie um i stick with the classics i i, I think it says I'm, I'm a good i'm a good picker i guess yeah I, i'm the same way when i find something i like i stick with it songs music books yep uh movies too the, uh, yep. the ending scene in that movie which is funny the when they chop off the duck's head right in front of them yeah <laughs> yep in the mother screams that wasn't she scripted. she didn't know what was going to happen oh really scream. nice yep, to she, know it yeah wasn't scripted or they didn't tell her at least that the guy was okay. going to chop the, the head off the duck. So she really screamed. I love it yeah. when they add that in the movies and they don't, they don't actually plan for it. Something, mm -hmm. a funny one too, that happened to was the Marvel movies. Robert Downey Jr. had snacks that he hit all over the set. So every scene you see him <laughs> where he's eating something, like that's yeah. not, he's just, just doing it. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah, that's really cool. Though. I love Christmas movies. One of my favorites. My family watches it every year. They do like the 24 hours of a Christmas story and it's playing uh, all day on yeah. Christmas. I mean, it's it's one of the best movies ever. Just, just, you know, my opinion. 
I did. You remember the uh, the scene with Ralph? Oh, not Ralphie, his brother, uh, like sticking his face in the mashed potatoes. Yeah, I, I did that, and uh, my family did you live that down? They're bringing up every oh, year. Oh boy! <laughs> like you remember when you? And I'm like, oh gosh! Remember? Yeah, and or, and the uh, the when Ralphie went to go decode the message from the radio in the in the bathroom. Oh yeah, you know that was one of my favorite scenes. He was like, "What Ovaltine?" You know, it's just <laughs> like. I still drink Ovaltine because of that. <laughs> Do you? I've never yeah, had it. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm going to try it. I've never, like, all my years watching that, I never decided to try it. Have you ever had, um, I don't even know if they sell this candy anymore. It's called Whoppers. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it tastes like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now I'm really going to have to go get it because I love yeah. Whoppers. It's malted chocolate, yeah. Pack. Oh, man. All right, Serena. So we're on our last questions. Some people call it the lightning round. We call it the closing table, just because we're real estate based. So what are three books you'd like to recommend to our audience and why? I've got three and a bonus. Oh, Uh, so yeah. So, so the first one, this one absolutely changed my, my entrepreneurial life and my business was the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Um, Just totally transformed like the way that I view um, business, right? Um, so that one's like number one. The next one is actually a recent uh, purchase of mine. It's called Company of One by Paul Jarvis. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really good for people who um, don't want to have large companies. You know, one of the things about being an entrepreneur is, you know, you say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I own a business. And the next question or so usually like, you know, how big are you? Like how many employees do you have and whatever? Mm-hmm. And uh, the truth of the matter is we live in, in such a world where you don't need 50, 60, 100 employees to have yeah. a really successful and really lucrative business. So he really breaks that down and actually says like, this can be your strategy is to try to stay as small and efficient as possible. Um, and then once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like um, somebody was saying that Craigslist makes like a billion dollars a year and they only have 50 wow. employees. That's crazy. Right. 50 people. <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, that one's really, really good. And then uh, Law of Success. I haven't finished this one. I think I'm halfway through, but it's by Napoleon Hill. Oh, okay. Law of success. Yeah, yes. it's, the, uh, it's the predecessor to like Think and Grow Rich. It's like the more expanded sort of, it's his first like baby. And okay. uh, it's really, really good. Um, it's, a, it's a hard read though, because it's like, you know, some of the characteristics that he says you need to have is like, you, it's a lot of self-reflection. So I'm only halfway through that book, but Okay. Um, it's, it's been really, really good. I actually got recommended that, um, from someone who said that that book changed his life and he makes probably $2 million a month. Um, wow. so I was like, well, if you're making 2 million a month, um, recurring, then I probably need to read that book. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then the bonus one is the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. He's, he's the one kind of helping me get my morning routine going. Yeah. It's a real small book, probably hundreds of my pages. Yep, the um, really easy to read yeah yeah lifesavers yep exactly so those yeah, are the read. three plus a bonus. okay yeah definitely i've read i've read uh the miracle morning i have not read the laws of success though i i have heard of it from napoleon mm-hmm. hill i have to check out that other one though it was the company of one company of one by paul jarvis i've got to check yeah. that one out for yeah. sure yeah that's awesome and then the other one was e-myth revisited i actually haven't read the e-myth so that's on my list of books to read as oh well. it'll change your life yeah, trust me. Okay, so um, what are uh, three podcasts that you would recommend and why? So all of these are uh, podcasts that I personally listen to. So these aren't business uh, podcasts. 
The first one is called the Orbiting Human Circus. <laughs> okay. They're all yeah yeah they're all fictional. So uh, oh, okay. the Orbiting Human Circus is about a, a janitor who there's a um it's like a, a a show that that happens at in the Eiffel Tower and there's okay. all these people on stage and they have some sort of like magic ability or something and he wants to be in that circus. Uh, so it's it's his like narration of being a janitor and wishing he was on stage. It's really good actually. Um, okay. The second one is Hello from the Magic Tavern by Arnie Niekamp. Hilarious. It's kind of an impromptu um, show. And and so they get all these comedians to kind of like uh, riff off each other and and kind of make it up as they go. But basically, Arnie uh, fell into a wormhole uh, in the back of a Burger King and ended up in (laughs) the the magical land of Foon. And he is doing this podcast because that's the only thing uh, the frequency can get through and like transmit to Earth that he's okay and his you know whatever and so he's talking to like wizards and you know shape-shifting badgers and it's hilarious um they've got i don't know hundreds of episodes um but they always bring like on a new a new guest and they just kind of riff off each other it's really fun that sounds Um, funny that's interesting yeah it's hilarious you got you have to check it out um and then uh the third one is called the walk and that one is again a fictional podcast but you are a character inside of this uh podcast and huh. what it is, is you are uh, sort of, it's, a, it's like an apocalyptic kind of thing. And somebody hands you like a package and they're like, hey, take this to, you know, so, so-and-so. And you, then you don't really have a name, right? Because it's, you know, it's universal for anybody. So they call you, hey, Walker. And uh-huh. uh, you're really just kind of like walking along and, and along the way you kind of join a band of of misfits and they're trying to get through this apocalypse together and try to get to like home base and you know, trying to outsmart thieves and, and, and helicopters flying overhead. It's really um, sort of action-packed, which is really fun and, and, a, and a very different way to kind of um, see podcasts. So yeah, Orbiting Human Circus, Hello from the Magic Tavern, mm-hmm. and The Walk by the Pe- walk. Penably. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't listen to a lot of fiction. I, I, it's funny. So it's, do you use like podcasts more of your way of like unwinding? Um, I, yeah, I would say I listen to uh, a few business podcasts, but there are selective ones and I only select, you know, but so many, um, episodes. And the reason why is because, um, it's just kind of like the way that I engulf books too. Um, if it's not a book that I've read, I I don't say that I have it because I don't have it. Right. I just own it. Um, and I'm responsible for whatever I learn. So if I learn something new, I'm sort of now responsible for that. So I don't listen to a lot of business podcasts because it's going to give me uh, too much information and the way my brain works, I'm always trying to process it. So yeah, uh, podcasts for me are a way to focus on just one thing. And my, my podcast, Note Inc. is a fictional podcast. And so I, yeah. And so I, you know, I try to, uh, you know, think of, well, what do I like to listen to and then recreate it? And so it makes sense for me to listen to fictional stories in order to make my podcast uh, about note investing a lot better. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Like doing something different with it because everybody does like a a straight business thing. And and a lot of times you'll find similar themes repeated over and over and over again. Yep. If you listen to enough of them, it's the same thing with business books. When you go and read them, there's, I mean, because business is business. It really doesn't change. Correct. So there's people recycling similar ideas. 
and you'll find them floating around. Once you read enough books, you sort of don't need to because there's nothing really novel coming into it. Every mm -hmm. once in a while, you'll find one. I found that to be true when I go ahead and look up other books. I'm like, oh, I know that. I know that. I understand that one already. Okay, let me right. move on. But I like yeah. the idea of putting it into a fictional sort of thing because for, for God knows how many years, we've been giving information through stories as human beings. On right. Planet. And exactly. it's a very effective way to teach is through a yes. story. Yep. That. That's, I love that. And because you're creative, that really that really kind of leads into your strength there. We're doing the creative stuff and adding yes. it into the, the training element. So I'm hoping it won't be boring for you or repetitive or tedious because of that. Like it'll keep you, <laughs> and keep you interested in it because you have a lot. Yeah. To share. Yeah. If anything, it's just been really expensive, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, uh, but you know, I, I do love to do it and, and everybody's been sort of waiting on season three, like what's season three going to be. And they've been waiting for at least three years for it. Oh, wow. Season, so you have two uh, seasons That'll be dropping now? here, which I'm excited about. Yeah. You have two seasons. We have season three to come. So everybody listen to that. Yeah. Please check it out. So that actually leads us to our final question. Where can listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me at noteinc.com. That's singular, not plural. So N-O-T-E-I-N-C.com. Uh, you can find the podcast there. You can find out whatever the latest shenanigan that I'm doing. And then uh, the podcast is just called Note Inc., same name. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people can't find it, so they look me up by my name. Um, and they'll find it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Um, okay. And I tell people that the podcast is world's only spy-themed fictional note-invest podcast. And so on there, uh, it is me and my, you know, handler, which is really just like a co-host, but it's my handler, uh, his name is Tree Whittingham, and he's a character I made. And um, uh, the, the, the fictional story goes that I'm a new note investor, and Chauncey is there to kind of train me up in, in the, you know, the spy world of note investing. And I say like, you know, the reason why not a lot of people know about note investing is because we're really spies. And I kind of played <laughs> on that. <laughs> All right, that's cool. And, uh, and so Chauncey's my handler and he's kind of like walking me through. So think like, you know, men in black type thing. Right. So I'm Will Smith right. and, uh, and I'm kind of like the rebel or whatever and, and things like that. So it's interesting. And the whole, the whole point of the mission is to really give, uh, you know, what I think is like really solid business advice. It's it's pretty evergreen, which is why you know I don't have to do uh, a podcast every week. But um, people say that it's it's the best podcast on on note investing out there, and uh, you know that's what they say. So now with the J, that's so Spotify, uh, Google Play, and iTunes, and yep. iTunes. Okay, yep. so check that podcast out. Um, what about social media? Social media, I hate. So I'm only on okay. uh, Twitter. Uh, so you can find me at uh, at Noting Media. Okay. And you can find me on LinkedIn, which is, uh, you know, just look me up, Zarina Harris, or you can look up Noting. All right. That's great. Yeah. So we will have all of those uh, links to all those in our show notes and description uh, for this episode. Uh, I want to take the time to, to thank you very much, Serena, for jumping on the You're podcast welcome. with us today, sharing everything you have. I know you've been in this space for a long time and you're very well seasoned and well experienced and the, the knowledge you share with us will help anyone in the, the note space and hopefully people who are not in the notes maybe you're interested now and want to check it out i mean i'm going to be doing more Absolutely. podcasts on here with other uh, note investors and note professionals this is kind of my thing for this podcast i'm the host for the note stuff so i, I hope we've been able to pique your interest listeners uh please you know listen to this through multiple times because 
there was a lot we unpacked over here. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you and we'll close it out. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. All right, guys. Take care. We'll see you in the next episode. See ya. Bye.